When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brand new episode coming your way of Bustin' Loose Baseball. GP, Danny Ruye, producer Dara Stammerin with you today. We're excited about this. We will discuss the greatness of Joey Manessis, the continued development of C.J. Abrams, plus Mason Thompson has thrown the ball pretty well for the Nationals at the big league level this season. And we've got some thoughts on the Mets versus the Braves and who's going to win the National League East. Speaking of the Braves, how are they able to graduate so many great young prospects? And how do the Nats start doing more of that? That is all coming up on Bustin' Loose Baseball, which starts right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball with Danny Ruye. I'm Grant Paulson. Producer Darius Dameron making us sound as good as he can. A lot to get into today as we wind down the stretch for the Nationals after a shutout loss at the hands of the Braves. Last night at Nats Park, final few games here at Nationals Park, mercifully, this season for Washington. They've got the Braves for a couple more, the Phillies come to town for four, and then they hit the road to take on the Mets for three to end their season. And last night, Danny, the race to 100 losses was won by your Washington Nationals. Yeah, the Nats are intimately involved in the NL East and the playoff race at large, right? Playing the Braves, playing the Phillies, playing the Mets, teams that need these games. And I heard Dave Jagler on on the telecast, actually last night before the Braves game, say something that I actually thought was pretty profound. In, In so much as these teams that are playing against the Nationals, this is not a June... 15th game. This is not July 14th. This is like a, a, you know, these teams need these games as the Mets and and Braves are neck and neck. And the Phillies, of course, need to stockpile wins as well to to make the postseason. For these teams, it's a ramped up intensity, right? You're you're playing a little bit tournament style baseball, a little bit more, hey, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I got to worry about winning this game right here, right now. And that intensity will be ramped up. The young players on the Nationals are not going to experience that for some time, presumably, hopefully within a couple of years. But still, this is their chance to kind of see what that's like. This is their chance to participate in hugely important major games, albeit for their opponents, but they can play a very important role. The losing has already happened. They've already secured their 100 losses, as you kind of alluded to. They're already in a bad place. They're already not going anywhere this year. But this is invaluable for guys like C.J. Abrams. This is important for guys like Luis Garcia, Lane Thomas, and uh, you know maybe some of the, the, the younger 
members of the pitching staff, whether Josiah Gray or um, or some of the others that, that get to throw in these kinds of games, to feel that kind of taste, even if it's secondhand, of intense upper-level baseball. And I think that's actually kind of a cool thing here in September. You could just be playing out the string against the A's or the Royals or you know uh, the, the Pirates, somebody that has no chance just like you, but it's kind of cool. They're playing really good teams, and they're going to feel what this is like a little bit, and then you, know, you see what it looks like, so maybe you want to get there pretty soon. So I wanted to talk real quick about the Braves, oddly enough, before I get into some of the particulars from the Nationals in their loss in game one of this series. Bryce Elder pitched for Atlanta, which shouldn't mean a whole lot to Nats fans necessarily, but Bryce Elder right now is the number three prospect in the Braves organization. Uh, This is after they have now graduated this year. Michael Harris and Spencer Strider and Vaughn Grissom and all those guys are helping and making a big impact in the second half of this season at the major league level. Obviously, Strider is on the injured list, but he and Michael Harris will probably finish the top two vote getters for the Rookie of the Year award in the National League, both with Atlanta. And it's just a, a juxtaposition that I think is necessary to prove a point about the Braves versus the Nationals. And this is something we've talked about on the podcast from time to time this year. But just how much better Atlanta has been at drafting and developing and getting young players to the big league level and just how much success they've had in this regard over the last handful of years. You know, we talked a lot over the last several seasons about how hard it is to both win at the major league level, sustain winning, routinely be one of the best teams in your division, one of the best teams in your league. But also, while doing that, walking and chewing gum, you know, spinning two plates, having a great system. When you're not drafting in the top five, in the top ten, when you are not able to prioritize player development and you're trading prospects to go get major leaguers to help you win, the idea that the thought is it's really, really hard to do that, to, to, to both be great at the big league level and to have a great system. There are a rare few teams that have been able to pull it off over the last couple of years. Nobody better, I think, through the years than the Dodgers and the Braves. And Atlanta is just an example that you don't have to be what I would consider to be one of the biggest markets. You don't have to play checkbook baseball and spend crazy amounts of money. You can win every single year at the major league level, and you can have an exceptional system. And you can draft really well, and you can develop really well, and you can have minor leaguers ready to graduate year in and year out. It takes a lot of smart people. It takes having a great process. It takes doing a lot of things well below the big league level. But it absolutely can be done. And I point this out today on Boston Loose Baseball after Bryce Elder threw a six-hit shutout and went the distance nine innings and six strikeouts in his start against the Nationals, throwing 106 pitches. Now, I understand that this Nats team is bad, right? 53-100, and 100. Lane Thomas is hitting leadoff, not a first division everyday player. You know, we could run through the litany of, of why that lineup was not particularly good, but it really takes away just from the point that is that Bryce Elder is the latest of an assembly line of arms that the Braves graduate. And this guy this year at AAA Gwinnett in 17 starts, pitched in 105 innings and only allowed 93 hits while striking out 97 and had a 234 average against. Wasn't dominant, wasn't sexy, but he had a good AAA run. They called him up to the big leagues. He's got a 2.70 RA and eight starts in the majors. And in 49 innings, he's allowed only 38 hits while striking out 42 batters. And he's got a big league average against of 250. 
15 in his rookie season here with Atlanta as their number three prospect. That sinker is good. It's a really good pitch. He's, uh, but my point is this, Danny. No, I know. Cade Cavalli, cool. We got him. We got one, right? And he got hurt, and hopefully he comes back early next season. They traded for Josiah Gray. Like, there's a chance they've got some good young pitching. Hopefully we see Mackenzie Gore soon. But they haven't had a Bryce Elder who they draft, who they develop, who they graduate, who comes to the big leagues and helps them. By the way, this guy was a fifth-round pick. 156th overall. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the it's the nail we, we keep hammering with this organization. They haven't even yeah. gotten a first-round pick right. right. You know, we're, we're hoping it's Cade Cavalli. But... The Braves just do this on Wednesday, and then on Friday, and then on Sunday. It's just what they do. They get out of bed, yawn, and then they have another guy coming up. The lefty that they've got in the big leagues, their 24-year-old Kyle Mullers made a couple starts this year. In the minor leagues this season, he at AAA Gwinnett made 23 starts at a 3 ERA, 159 Ks, 134 innings, 119 hits, 240 average against. There's no one in that system doing that, really. Jared Schuster, who I saw at the Futures game this year, lefty, same rotation, Gwinnett Stripers, 25th overall pick out of the ACC in 2020. He's got a 3 ERA at AAA, 136 innings, 143 strikeouts, 102 hits allowed, 206 average against. Where are these guys for me? Why do I have zero of them and they have all of them? Uh, They just drafted Owen Murphy, by the way, with the 20th pick this year uh, in Augusta. And he made five starts and in 12 innings struck out 17 batters with a 163 average against. We could just keep running through the system. But the point is, and I think people are getting it, uh, their competitive balance pick this year, the 35th pick in the draft, J.R. Ritchie, uh, also an A-ball. Same rotation as Owen Murphy. Five starts, a 180 RA, 14 innings, 14 strikeouts. Like They just have these dudes coming up all the time. And how are you supposed to compete with it? You don't spend money. And you're not even in the same ballpark as them when it comes to getting these guys to the show. Yeah, to, to go back through the Braves process a little bit, because I think it's instrumental in our discussion. It's, and it's, listen, they were a mid-90s win team. Made the playoffs three out of four years. The year they didn't, they won 89 games. This is under Freddie Gonzalez, not not that long ago. But they knew they'd kind of maxed out. They were old. They, they needed to kind of reboot. They had four straight losing seasons. I don't think they bottomed out quite as badly as, as the Nationals have this year, but they won upper 60s ball games a couple times. And this was what they were going to do. They were going to reboot. They had to do a complete overhaul, reinvestment in the developmental process, the scouting process. I mean, it wasn't as if they were bad before. They get guys like, you know, Jason Hayward and Freddie Freeman and, you know, the kind of the cores of that really good team, that Atlanta team um, of the mid 2010s, I guess is what we're calling them. They knew they needed this big overhaul to really be able to compete as they are right now this minute. And their window, dude, is wide open. They also somehow convinced these young stars to sign for a fraction of what their market value will be down in the future. Quite literally the opposite of what the Nationals have or, or haven't done in that case. In Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna, etc. Austin, Austin Riley. Riley, too. Positioning themselves for not only competitiveness, but greatness for, you know, again, a, a decade or more. The Nationals are behind the eight ball in every single way when you start to line them up to teams like the Braves, teams like the Dodgers, et cetera. Now, these are the classes of, of, of baseball. Everybody is envious of how these guys are doing it. But my point is it wasn't that long ago that the Nets were that. If you recall, the Mets, when uh, you know uh, their GM took over a handful of years ago, was like, yep, we're going to try to do it like they've done it in terms of pitching and sort of build around that and, and see what for. Now, the Nets are, are not only lagging behind, they're being lapped when it comes to Player evaluation, development, 
getting guys from their own system to the big leagues. They would have more success in that regard had they not spun some of those guys for some of their you know championship attempts and runs. We understand that. The point is, the Braves, as you correctly pointed out, have an endless army. An endless army. And when and if they let Dansby Swanson go this year, they got a, a, a shortstop named Shoemake, a AAA, who's poised to take his spot if they don't want to overpay that guy. They're shrewdly run. They're really, 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 really deep and good. And the, the difference is not just the, the top guys, as you pointed out, the first-rounders. Where is my seventh-round story? Where is my tenth rounder that, that that was better than everybody thought and makes it up and and helps? You know the way they've gotten these kind of success stories have been throw-ins to trades. Guys like Tanner Roark who were you know afterthoughts or whatever. They find a way to to come here, blossom, give you way more productivity than you ever thought. But in terms of their own system doing that, it's they've been devoid of that GP for a long, long time, and now all of that is coming home to roost. Yeah, I mean, they've, you've already seen Vaughn Grissom play at the major league level, who I think will replace Dansby Swanson probably, who was their top prospect before he graduated the status. But 40 games in, hitting about 300 with an 800 OPS and five home runs. I mean, it's it's just crazy how well they do this, and uh, they should be commended for it. They should be applauded for it, as frustrating as it is as a Nats fan. Uh, but the 8 nothing loss, couple of particulars here. Another hit and on base two more times for Joey Manessis, hitting three twenty six with a nine forty two ops. I did the podcast solo and just kind of talked uh, to myself for 45 minutes last week, <laughs> and many of those minutes were about Joey Manessis. Um, there's not a whole lot left to say. Obviously, he's hitting 430 in his last seven games, 322 in his last 15, 331 in his last 30, and 326 in the almost now 200 at-bats since getting called up. So we're talking about now, Danny, nearly a third of a season for Joey Manessis, and if you extrapolate out the totals to 162, you know he'd be on pace to hit 40 or so home runs at the major league level. Absolutely awesome that he continues this role. The 30-year-old, the best story of the season for the Nats, and it's not close. Yeah, it really is neat. It's a breath of fresh air. And watching him go about it, it's it's been really, really impressive for a million reasons. You touched on the numbers. For a 30-year-old rookie, that's beyond cool. But the other part is teams are in the business of getting you out. They're not here to allow you to put up stats. This is the major leagues, dude, especially when we're talking about teams that are competitive, right? As you watch them take on the Braves, the Mets, the Phillies, and, and, and some of the good clubs that are trying to do some things. They're trying to get him out with stuff out of the zone. He's spitting on it, right? He's still hitting strikes. He's not trying to do too much. He's not, you know, I've experienced some success. I want to keep putting barrel to baseball. So then you kind of get out of your plan and teams can kind of get you out with those sliders that are strikes for 87% of the way to home plate then kind of, you know, dance off the outside, quite literally sliding off the table, or that's the appearance. Fastballs up and out of the zone, chasing candy. He's been really disciplined. He's taken his walk still. He's not a ridiculous walk rate, walk rate guy. He's not going to be one-to-one like Pools in his prime or, or Juan Soto or something like that, but he's he's doing it. He, you know, I think he had uh, six or seven walks over his last 15 games. So he's, you know, two to one in terms of strikeout to walk. But that tells you everything. That tells you the story of, of how his at bats are going. People are pitching him carefully, and he's taking advantage when they do come in the zone. It's just amazing. He's got such a simple, excellent, quick swing. He's long through the ball, which, you know, gives you that backspin and that carry. This dude can hit. I have no idea if he could do a 162 like you just outlined, a 40-homer pace where he hits over 300 and is one of baseball's best hitters. I do know that these last few weeks have been a blast to watch that guy. I got he, His at-bats have now become, I'll be right there, honey, Joey's batting. 
Like if I need to go do something, it's I, I'm, I'll wait one minute and watch his, the completion of his at bat because it's that much fun. All right, let's talk C.J. Abrams, who finally got moved up in the order on game one of this series uh, on um, Monday night to bat second. He went one for four. His average now is 240. His OPS is 601. But if you look at C.J. Abrams recently, he's really turned it around offensively. Last seven games hitting 320, and that's after the one for four. Uh, Not a particularly loud Seven games, right? Eight hits and, and just one run batted in. Uh, not a whole lot of power there, but hitting about 280 over his last 15 games, hitting about 265 over his last 30 OPS in that time, uh, close to uh, 700. So still not where you want it to be. He's not drawing walks, doesn't get on base, doesn't slug the ball necessarily. So there's still some growth here, but you're seeing more contact consistently. You're seeing, I think, a better quality of at bat. Uh, his comical batting average balls in play, which we referenced on the show quite a bit as being unsustainable, is kind of correcting itself. And uh, because of that, he is getting on base more as his average climbs. Uh, but it's just good to see that he's really getting comfortable here in Washington. And I just think you you look at his body language or you see some of the video or, or if yes. you're at the ballpark, see how he interacts with guys during BP and you know, just out on the field during the game, it's very clear that I think he is kind of taken now to this shortstop spot. It's his. Yes, he's 21, but there's no parade back and forth to the minor leagues like may have happened in San Diego when they're trying to compete, you know, based on what they could get at the shortstop position at the deadline. It's his job, man, and he looks much more comfortable right now. Hitting over 300 in the month of September, as you as you touched on, OPS around 730, which for a guy without a ton of power is pretty damn good. I'll certainly take that. And you, you mentioned what he's doing at shortstop, and it's nice. It's stabilizing, and it feels good. I mean, that's kind of what you think of when you think of a shortstop. You know, it's the infield's captain. It's the leader. It's a, it's a dependable guy who's going to make a flashy play here and there. And for him, it seems to be almost every other night that he's doing it. Um, I, I ultimately... You know, watching this guy grow and watching this guy, you know, get more and more comfortable in his at bats. The the big thing for guys that hit left, especially cross handed guys. So if you're a right handed hitter that hits left, you just don't grow up seeing that many good left handed pitchers. You just don't. They're the, the guys that can throw left handed and are decent at all. Just get to keep going. I mean, again, it was so funny. I've, I've talked about this a million times, but. I had uh, the uh, the college team that I played on. Seven different guys ultimately got drafted off of off of those teams. Guys that were really really good players. Guys were you know top ten round picks, 12th round, really good minor leaguers. That you know sort of petered out. The guy that made it was pretty good for us, but I'd say probably our tenth or eleventh best player. And he pitched in the major leagues for multiple teams, including these Nationals. Mike O'Connor. He's left-handed. Weird delivery. Looks like an octopus falling out of a tree when he pitches. That guy gets to keep going. Good player, great career, right? Really, really cool. You just don't see that many of those kind of guys. He's really struggled against left-handed pitching. I mean, to to the tune, I think, of a of an average in the 160s at this point as this sample grows. The more he sees of quality left-handed pitching, I think the better for him. Just that supercomputer starts working. You, you make your adjustments. You figure out where your success is. He's way more comfortable against right-handed pitching, naturally, obviously, with that right-left uh, crossfire mac, uh, mix. But as lefties are able to get him out more and more and more, I think he'll start, start to make those kinds of comfort adjustments. You've seen him adjust to major league pitching slowly but surely, hit 160 in August, now again over 300 in September. As he gets his feet wet, as he adjusts, as he kind of gets acclimated to figure out where his success is, I think you're going to see more of this. I, I, I'd, I'd almost like to see him bunt 
every now and again, again, especially against lefties, maybe that drag bunt, if these guys are falling off the mound one way, you could push it towards third base. There's a number of things that I think he'll have in his toolkit as he continues to grow and runs a little bit more that I think we're going to be really, really impressed with. I don't know how much power there's going to be. I don't know about the walk rate, kind of as you alluded to. I don't think it's ever going to be great. He can be a hit-your-way-on kind of guy. But there's plenty of tools to be excited and really useful for this club. So a couple of things when you look into his batted ball profile for C.J. Abrams. Uh, He hits a little bit more ground ball than the average hitter in baseball, which I have no problem with Mm -hmm. because of his speed, and he can beat some of those out. Um, Generally, you want people to hit the ball in the air because those turn into home runs more frequently. But in his case, with his current power and his speed, I think hitting the ball on the ground much more than he hits it in the air is probably fine. Uh, He does, though, when you look into the strength of contact, so to speak, uh, he he does struggle to to find the barrel. Uh, On average in Major League Baseball, barrel percentage right now is about 7%. For C.J. Abrams, he's at about 2.5%. So you want more of the barreled balls. His max exit velocity this year is almost 60th percentile, meaning— For a guy that size, that's incredible. Exactly. When he's got uh, the—when he does it, he can really hit the ball. I mean, that's a skill. I I talk about this all the time. I can't go out there and just improve my my exit velocity, right? There are big leaguers who are going to top out in the mid-90s or 100. For guys that are able to hit 120 off the bat, your your O'Neill Cruises and your Shoei Otanis and your Judges and Stantons, like that's a real skill, a separator for, you know, players like um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And the fact that at his size, he's able to be in in a class with the top 10% of baseball is a really big deal. But it's just not often enough that he's finding the barrel. You look at barrel per plate appearance, you're just dividing the barrels by how many plate appearances you've had, essentially, or vice versa. And, and, you know, in in the big leagues, on average, 4.6 for him, 1.8. So that's something I'd like to see more of. Solid contact about 4% of the time. The average hitter, 6% of the time. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but over the course of a season, you know, those numbers do add up and matter. Weak contact percentage for him, about 7% of the time. The average player, below 4% of the time. So those are some things I'm interested in. I do love his approach. You know, you look at his spray chart. As a left-handed hitter, he's got more hits to left field than right field, which I guess can be indicative maybe of um, being behind on fastballs or some things like that. But I also think it's partially approach. It can also be approach, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because if you look at it, and the reason I assume it is approach, he does his best against fastballs. He's a 288 hitter uh, against fastballs this season, a 174 hitter against breaking balls, and a 208 hitter against changeups. So I just have to imagine that he handles fastballs pretty well, and and that's more of an approach thing. So there are plenty of things to like about him at the plate as precursors for more to come. He's only 21 at the major league level. But just a little dive into some of the numbers on him. I like that a lot. I I will say, speaking of kind of the the skill sets that are separators, this is something that I believe, and some hitting coaches actually may disagree with this, but this is something I've always felt. I think it's a binary. Either you are put on this earth and you are able to hit velocity – or not. And if not, you sit with your friend Grant Paulson and talk about baseball players that, that can, right? You it, it weeds you out very quickly. If you can't hit a ball that's traveling over a certain speed, there's almost very little you can ultimately do about it. You can put your hands mechanically and do all the best things you can, but if you can't catch up to a fastball just because you're not quick enough, fast enough, or strength enough, or strong enough, rather, whatever it is, then the it weeds you out. 
I think you can learn the other stuff. I think you can learn an approach that manages breaking balls, that manages change-ups, that manages off-speed better. Obviously, guys like to hit cheese, like to hit fastballs more often because they're more predictable, they're straighter, and and you can sort of time it up that way. Off-speed is meant to fool, is meant to get you off of your A-hack. I think you can learn those skills, and a guy that's 21 years old who probably should be a college junior right now learning at the major league level, I think that's going to take a little bit longer to come. But if you can hit fastballs, barrel up fastballs that are traveling 100 miles an hour, there's one billionth of one millionth percentile of people on this planet who can even make contact with that sort of thing that these guys see routinely every night. If you can do that, I think you've got the base to be a hitter. That's those are my that's my hmm. philosophical thought on that. I like it. Uh, Mason Thompson pitched in this loss to the Braves, this eight nothing shutout, and threw a one hit. One walk inning where he didn't give up any runs. Mason Thompson on the season at the major league level has a 2-4 ERA. So I just had a thought on him that I wanted to bounce off you. First of all, I, I like him as a piece for them moving forward. He came over from the Padres who drafted him in the third round at one point in time in the uh, Hudson deal last year. I do think Thompson will be a fixture in the bullpen over the next few seasons and could be a guy that throws in some high leverage spots next year. Um, my interest in Mason Thompson is about his pitch selection. So he throws a lot of fastballs, as you'd imagine, right? He's a reliever. They come in. This is what they do. It's mostly fastballs, and and then you have one breaking ball. But he throws fastball, slider, and almost nothing else. He's thrown, I think, three changeups all year, according to Baseball Savant. I wish he would throw more sliders. His slider's outstanding. His slider this year, opponents hit 100 off of it, and the X batting average is only 113. Ten at-bats, meaning ten balls basically put in play against his slider, and one hit. I just wish he would throw that pitch more often. This is something you see in baseball more now than you used to, where guys like Rich Hill were always told, you got to establish your fastball, you got to establish your fastball, but your fastball sucks, and you have a great curveball. So you know what he did analytically is he said, why don't I throw my curveball more? And it kind of saves your career. We saw this with Patrick Corbin yeah. when he became an all-star and got $140 million bucks from the Nats. Why are you pitching off your fastball when your slider is so good? Pitch off your slider. Mason Thompson throws his fastball about 75% of the time and his slider about 23%, which is not nothing for the record. I'm just saying I'd like to see him throw more sliders. I think that's a damn good pitch for him. Closer to closer to maybe 65, 35, or even 60, 40. I didn't realize the disparity was that much. I mean, he's got some jump on his fastball. I'd be curious if you have the spin rate there. Um, uh, his, or, or, so his spin rate is not particularly good, actually. Really? Interestingly, because I was surprised to see that. I'll pull it up. I think he's right in the smack dab, like kind of middle of baseball in the 50th percentile. Or I would have guessed wrong on that because it, it feels like it's got life, right? As you're, uh, as you're kind of watching it. Fastball spin rate, 51st percent. Well, there you go. Because uh, it, it feels like, again, it's not it's not Sean Doolittle jump, but it feels like it, it gets on hitters pretty quick and they don't seem to be that comfortable. Against it well, more here, often here's than not. why maybe that is. So he's six six. Yep. His extension is eighty sixth percentile. Maybe there's so like maybe the, there it the is. The ball is being released. It feels like at home plate, like right? an like an octopus reaching out and dropping <laughs> it. Yeah, there, there's something to that. I, I you know, but you, you see this happen sometimes. A dude throws a hundred and he's out there just feeding sliders, and sometimes gets himself into some bad ball counts. And you're going, dude, you throw a hundred. Mix that in. You know, Thompson's upper 90s, certainly with his fastball. So maybe he's erring on that other side of, of, of kind of the coin. But I'm with you. It's a pretty effective pitch. Um, and to me, it's all about 
making hitters uncomfortable, right? Just getting them off whatever it is that they're sitting on, getting them off whatever it is that you think they want to see. To me, I, I think pitchers more often should think like hitters. And what I mean is, if I'm sitting in the box, what do I want and what do I not want? More often than not, give them what they don't want. Give, give them the thing that makes them uncomfortable. There aren't many hitters that are going, oh, thank God, a slider, especially one down in the zone. Mix that in a little bit more. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I'd be uh, curious just to see what that looked like if, if he threw that pitch a little more often in the next season. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. See you later. All right, couple of other notes here. Uh, Mackenzie Gore made a fourth rehab start. I feel like we've been talking about Mackenzie Gore rehab starts for a month. And maybe, we have been. Maybe we have, I guess. 72 pitches, 45 strikes. They all feel like they're the same stat line, too. Uh, three and two-third innings. Triple-A Rochester yesterday allowed six runs on six hits, including three homers and one walk. So it was not a particularly good rehab assignment. 23-year-old lefty got three strikeouts. They wanted to get him to five innings and 75 pitches. Obviously, he got part of the way through the third before he got to the 75 pitches been on the injured list with the left elbow inflammation since the end of July before the deadline. Uh, and that dates back to his time with the Padres. So he had really struggled mm-hmm. for a little while. Then they realized, okay, let's just shut this down and, and see where this goes. But he was the, maybe the best pitcher in the national league. One of the best lefties in baseball for the first couple months of the year. I still really want to see him get a start for the Nats. I was actually a little bit surprised, honestly, and and I get why they're being cautious and and taking their time and dragging their feet here. It's a terrible major league record, and and you're not rushing him back. But I kind of thought he could make two starts after his last rehab. You could have had him made a start and go 75 pitches at the major league level, then have him make another start and give him 85 or 90. But ideally, we still see him one time before this season. I'd ends. really like to. They've it, been dangling that in front of him the whole yeah. time like a carrot, just to keep him working hard. And it's it's selfish for me and for Nats fans because again, what are we doing, right? We, Joey Manessis is fun. That's cool. But is that enough reason to buy a ticket right now? Is that enough reason to stop what you're doing on a Wednesday, Thursday, a Friday, whatever, and 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 tune into all nine? Only for like the most hardcore of us. And if you're listening to us, you're probably among that group, right? This would be a really nice thing. Just a reminder, hey, this this Juan Soto thing wasn't in a vacuum. There's a there's a dude who is going to be the dude out of this deal in terms of our rotation. I think that's him, Mackenzie Gore. Obviously, really big setback with that start uh, the other night here uh, as, of, as of this recording. But I, it's just selfish that I want it to happen. If it doesn't, I'll understand it because, again, you're talking about an elbow and inflammation, and as you said, the team isn't going anywhere. But to me, it would be a nice piece of candy for the fan base that is kind of stuck with you uh, throughout all these tribulations. A couple of days ago, we got the update that Yadiel Hernandez is rehabbing still in Miami, uh, dealing with the left calf strain, and that he's going to stay there and, and work his way back to full health, uh, basically going into the season uh, the 34-year-old is now on the 60-day injured list. Um, that's been the case since the end of last month, but he's starting to do some agility drills. I found this comment interesting from Davey Martinez. Uh, he said, I love Yadi. I love what he's done. He's definitely gotten better. He can hit, as we all know. He got better in the outfield. Listen to this. 
It's just getting him healthy and getting him ready for spring training, end quote. Oh. So clearly, I guess, at least in Davies' mind, Yadiel Hernandez will be in the plans again next year. I mean, you, you can't bring all these guys that are DHs back. Like, Hernandez is not a good fielder, and your defense is just not going to be great if he's a part of it. You could say that about Manessis. You could say that about Nelson Cruz, who obviously, based on his age and his contract, won't be back very likely. You could say that about Luke Voigt. Like, how many DHs can you have? How many positionless guys? Right. And not in a good way because they're utility players. They're hiders. Um, yeah, this is the unfortunate, cutthroat, hardcore part of this business of rebuilding. Right? This is one of those things where you go, you didn't do anything wrong. All Yadiel Hernandez did was make the most of his opportunities. He was Joey Manessis before Joey Manessis. Now he didn't hit like this, like Manessis is, but capable major league player, right? A nice utility player, a nice bench bat for you know a, a first division club. He didn't do anything wrong, but he'll be 35 next year, coming off an injury, as you said, kind of a butcher defensively, you know, perfectly okay at the dish. We'll give you a good at bat, but you could do a lot better, especially at a corner outfield spot. That's got to go to somebody else, right? That's got to go to a guy that can hit 30 homers. That's got to go to a guy that's, you know, can be a basher here for maybe a, a couple of years to come. So to me, you're welcome to be around in spring training, but maybe a deal can be struck. Maybe you know he, he can move on. I, I just don't see a great role for him on a team that needs to major in young pieces. Totally agree. And I, I'm kind of always interested in, in how they view this thing in the big picture along those lines. You know, Nelson Cruz is day-to-day with this left eye inflammation that he was diagnosed with, went and saw a specialist in the middle of the month, and he's been given these eye drops and he's experiencing irritation. But this quote from Davey Martinez on him was that he doesn't want him to finish the season on the injured list. Quote, I want to give him an opportunity, even if he comes off the bench and pinch hits for us, it would be great. He's getting a little better, but he says he does still feel a little blurriness at times. And I mean, none of this is a big deal, but it like it's interesting to me that he cares if he finishes the year on the injured list yeah. or not. And I don't mean from a human standpoint. Obviously, you, you like Nelson Cruz. He's your buddy. He's in the clubhouse. He's a nice guy. You want him on the field. But play Alex Cole, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. uh, who, who means nothing to them. But you get my point. I mean, of course I do. more Lane Thomas uh, from a DHing standpoint, more Manessis who's rolling. Uh, play Luke Voigt and hope he hits two homers so you might trade him for something this year. Like, I just, it, it's odd to me, I guess, is my point. Yeah. I, I, and again, Nelson Cruz didn't do anything wrong. Well, I no, mean, he did not. From a baseball perspective, he didn't hit very well. But like, just in terms of his personality and and the impact he's had as a veteran, especially to like a lot of the young Latin players, I think is probably pretty invaluable. So, Davey wants him around. I get all that, but like, let's not bend over backwards to make sure Nelson Cruz gets at bats in September for a team that lost its hundredth game yesterday. You know, like there's there's as you said, somebody else that's not forty could probably take a swing or two at major league pitching. Just my thought. Dang, zoom. Wanted to hit real quick on Luis Garcia. He's running out of a little bit of gas here, Danny. 327 in June, 327 in August, hitting about 230 here in 21 games and about 90 at-bats in September. His OPS by month, 817, 561, 833, and 614 right now. Post-All-Star break, hitting 256, OPS down about 40 points since the break. This is the roller coaster ride when you swing at everything. When you are up there waving that bat at whatever comes your way, you're going to be susceptible to this. You swing at balls, you make outs. 
Vladimir Guerrero Sr. notwithstanding, who got base hits off balls that bounced or pitches over his eyes or on pitch outs or everything in between. But for normal mortal human beings, if you swing at balls, you get out. You've done the pitcher a favor. This is where plate discipline comes into play. You know, listen, it's not always about taking walks. It's about getting yourself into plus counts, getting yourself into places where you feel comfortable, you know, firing and guessing on what's coming. It's not always about taking four balls. It's about getting to a three and one. It's about getting two and oh. It's about getting to a place where the pitcher's got to come in and you haven't done him any favors by swinging at that sinker out of the zone or that slider off the plate or that change up that breaks out of the zone or a fastball up at your eyes, whatever it is. When you are swing away Sam, you're going to be hot at times where everything finds the barrel and everything finds a hole, and you're going to go off a cliff here and there. Good thing for him, he's you know he's head up. He's still the same guy coming to the ballpark every day. He'll bounce back from these sorts of things. I think he understands maybe his process to that degree, but nobody's saying you've got to be Ricky Henderson. That'd be nice if you were, but nobody's saying you've got to you know, be Barry Bonds in Pittsburgh where you walk more than anybody else, but you got to do it some. you got to get into plus counts. you got to take balls. And when he's just up there swinging happy, pitchers are more than happy to not throw him a strike and have him get out. It's it's kind of the corollary for being on the ride. I hope he kind of picks it up before the end of the season so he ends on a nice t- nice note, uh, just you know, kind of for his benefit going in the next year. But at some point, there's going to have to be some modicum of plate discipline from him. Otherwise, we're just going to do this. I was sent this uh, tweet <clears throat> excuse me, from Jessica Camarado. I love this. Uh, This was going into Monday night's game against Atlanta. Jessica Camarado, top four players with 61 hits and 12 home runs in their first 46 major league games. Uh, Now, uh, top four is a weird phrase there, but I think the point is that there are four players who have done that. So, again, you're talking about 61 hits and 12 home runs over 46 games. Obviously, Manessis did that. Do you want to hear the other three guys? I bet you they're pretty good. Ryan Braun with Milwaukee. Yep. Jordan Alvarez with Houston. Yep. Orlando Cepeda with the San Francisco Giants. Wow. And Joey Manessis. How about it? I mean, we are at a point where on Manessis, you can start dreaming a little bit that maybe there's some legitimacy to what he's doing offensively. And I felt for a while like this guy can flat out hit. I really believe that. He's had monster seasons in AAA on multiple occasions. I have no delusions that over 162 he would hit 35 home runs. But I do think he could be a 25 homer, 80 RBI, like 275, 280 hitter in the big leagues. I really believe that. I I only Yeah. It's I I know that wasn't very profound my response to what you're saying. I was I, only, I was thinking I only I only wish I wish I'd seen it from the beginning of the season. And I understand why. I know how we got well, here. I mean, he did it in AAA, night in and night out. We I know. were talking about him on this podcast. I, I'd love to have seen it at the big league level, and I cannot wait next year. I can't wait for him to go through the rhythms of a, a major league grind in a season because the longer you do something, the more it is that's just what you are, right? It's no longer a streak. It's no longer a fluke. It's just kind of, yeah, this is, this is what it is, good, bad, or indifferent, right? We talked about it with Patrick Corbin on a negative way. For a little while, he didn't pitch well. Well, Patrick Corbin's not pitching well. Now we kind of know Patrick Corbin's not great, right? That's the new reality of the world. Conversely, with Manessis, the longer he kind of keeps these sorts of streaks going, it's not just about the hot. We talk about this all the time on this podcast. The way to get great numbers is to limit the valleys. The way to get great counting stats at the end of the year is when everyone else is going two for 36, you're, you know, five for 20. 
not the end of the world, not great, but you you limit those really, really bad times. He was in a little bit of a funk, and a lot of folks maybe who are waiting for the shooter drop are going, okay, here's your regression back down to earth. You know, like every human being that's ever played this game. And it lasted for, like, what, two or three games? And he's right back to hitting tracers, right back to giving great at-bats, right back to putting the barrel on the ball. It's been awesome to watch. I, I'm frankly excited, giddy, about the possibility of him hitting in the middle of this order next year for, you know, whatever kind of team they end up putting together. He should have, A, should be a part of it. I think that's obvious and intuitive now. But, B, I, I, I would love to see it as, as you assemble a lineup and see what he could do over a full season. All right, one other thing to hit before we get out of here, and this is just on the division. As we record this podcast on Tuesday afternoon, the Mets are one game up on the Braves. This is by far the most competitive Best race in baseball coming down the stretch here. Atlanta's won three in a row. Uh, the Mets have actually gained ground, though, over the last 10 days. Uh, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Who do you think will win this division? I'm going to give you the schedules remaining. The Mets just finished their series with the Athletics, pounded them 13-4 to four on Sunday. They were off yesterday. They've got the Marlins for two today and tomorrow. Then they've got a three-game series with the Braves, which may determine the division, by the way. And then they finish with their three games against the Nationals. So five against the Marlins and the Nats, three against Atlanta. For the Braves, they have the Nationals today and tomorrow, three against the Mets, and then three against the Marlins. So basically the inver, the flips uh, of, of what the Mets are dealing with. They both play the Marlins and the Nats five times. The Braves play the Marlins one more time than the Mets do, and then they play each other three times. So essentially identical remaining schedules, one game separating them. How do you think it ends? It all depends on on how many times Sandy Alcantara pitches against those two teams. I'm only sort of kidding. Uh, I, I've, I predicted Atlanta, even after their terrible start, Months ago, I always felt like they would walk down the Mets just because of how talented they are, and I felt like the Mets are always kind of banged up and just sort of have fallen apart in some of these moments. So I'm going to stick with that, but again, it's a coin toss to me. The Mets, of course, have the advantage uh, of that one game up, and, and they're so well built, and it seems like you know their their big two is is getting healthy at the exact right time. So I don't know, man. I, I, I've said the Braves, and I feel like there's no reason to waver from that. I'm going to ride with the Mets, and I'm pulling for them as weird as that is to say, uh, because I love Max that much. And also Buck Showalter is probably my favorite manager in the history of baseball. But if you look at uh, just their last trip through the rotation here over the last week, Chris Bassett was really good, eight innings, two runs. Scherzer, his last start, six innings, one run, seven strikeouts. Um, Jacob DeGrom. How about that bum DeGrom? What, that guy will never make it. Stunk up the joint. Six hits and five runs and four innings. He had walked four. And uh, Taiwan Walker got hit around a little bit. But you're right. Now they've got Scherzer and DeGrom healthy and in that rotation, seeming like right at the perfect time. Appreciate everybody listening, as always, to Bustin' Loose Baseball. Please subscribe, rate the show, review the show, leave a nice comment. And uh, next episode of Boston Loose Baseball. We will read some of those comments. If you say something nice, we'll give you a shout out. We are not above that. Danny, final thought. I'm excited to see these young kids play these meaningful games. Not for them, but uh, against these teams that really need it, just to see kind of what you're made of and get that experience like we talked about at the top. But uh, go Joey Manessis, man. Must see TV. Yeah, hopefully uh, he can hit another bomb or two because your boy picked him up in a home run derby fantasy pool that I'm in. Oh. And I am clinging right now to a couple of home run edge, thanks largely to Manessis. 
All right, we'll talk to you again very soon. Bust and Loose Baseball in the books. Thanks for listening.